Hello everyone and welcome to episode 7 of The Deer Horn, a Seattle Lombard podcast for the curious and committed. I'm your host Jay Ryan and I don't have a lot to report this time. Uh, I just wanted to say my wife and I are planning a big move here from Edmonton to Vancouver within the next couple months so as we pack up and get ready for that my studio will be in shambles. However, I do love doing this podcast, so I've scheduled a couple interviews and we'll hopefully have the months of March and April covered with with an episode, even though I will be without a studio. So those episodes might, you know, uh, be a little bit dated, but they will exist. The other thing I, I just wanted to mention quick, I usually do a plum butter beat for these intros and you probably don't care, but... I was too lazy to set it up and just found some old sequence pattern thing I had on the dig attack and threw under here. What's really important is that today on the show we have Jogging House, aka Boris, aka Head of Sile Records. And I wanted to have him on before I even started this podcast, but you know, I was trying to build it up a little bit before I reached out. And after I talked with Paperbark and he came on the show, he asked if I had talked to Boris and I said no. And he said, well, you should. So I did. And Boris was uh, more than willing to do so. He actually told me that the Deerhorn was the first podcast he ever listened to. Um, I told him to check out John's episode just to get a feel for it and see if it's something he'd be into doing. And he was because we did it and this is it. (laughs) In the chat, uh, we talk about where the name Jogging House comes from. We talk about his love of samplers and how he has to try not to overuse cocoa. We talk about buying, selling gear. We talk about his recent love for photography. Um, And if you haven't seen some of that, you should check it out. He posts some, some pretty great shots of urban buildings and and things that he sees on his walks and we also talk about starting Sile Records uh, a little bit how that came to be and got off the ground which uh, I thought was quite fascinating because it's a fantastic label and it seemed to know where it was headed from day one and then uh, he recently released a new album called Flaws which consists of four long-form ambient tracks and uh, I was lucky in that I got an advanced copy to listen to before we did this chat so we could talk about it. But it is out now, and if you want to grab that cassette, you can head over to the Sile Records website. I'll throw a link in the description, of course. And uh, I think today was the last day you could get the digital copy for free, but I mean, you can shell out. It's worth it. You definitely got to pick it up. It's a great album. And uh, speaking of that album, he also let me take track three from that and tack it on the end of our conversation in this episode. So after our chat, you get to not sample, but actually hear an entire 24-minute piece off the new album, Floss. And with that, I will shut up so you can listen to Boris for a little while and then hear that track. Take care.
Boris, I'm just curious, where did you grow up and how did that lead to you getting into music? <laughs> it's not really related, but um, I grew, I live in Frankfurt and I grew up like in a, I don't know if it's officially a suburb or just a small, smaller town before the city. I don't know what the right term would be, but like 20 or 15 minutes from here. And um, yeah, typical suburban kid. Yeah, and I grew up there. I um, was, when I got into music, I was never in a band or anything like that. I don't have any music education, no, no music background, no music in the family, nothing like that. I just like to listen to hip hop mostly. And um, at some point was kind of fascinated with, um, with, the, with how samplers work and, and making beats out of vinyl and so on. Um, and I think the mainly the DJ Shadow album introducing was kind of that was the point when I listened to that I thought I want to do something like this as well and I didn't <laughs> but um, at least um, yeah it, it gave me like an it made me like investigate what an MPC is and what it does and how it works and what other equipment even exists because at that point um, I, I didn't know anything basically and I also did not know anyone who I could ask and like there were some forums of course but not not like today so it was mainly like yeah saving money for years <laughs> because I was still in school then spending them the money on something don't understand it selling it again and <laughs> starting all over so something like this yeah and, but it's yeah, where I, where I come from is not really related to music at all. So you never like got into making hip-hop or that style of music then? Mm, not really. I mean, I did make some beats, but I didn't, didn't release them or anything. And the first um, Jogging House albums, I called it lo-fi R&B back then. Um, so they are beat-driven and they use a lot of samples, especially like vocal sample chops, um, quite densely layered, like different vocals. Um, but I wouldn't, I don't know if, it, it has probably a resemblance of hip hop in some way, but it's not like, not at all like a hip hop track. It's more like, not four on the floor electronic music that is sample based. Right. Yeah. Is that stuff still out there if I wanted to find it and have a listen? Um, some of it. I mean, the the very first ones I deleted at some point. But, I mean, they, they were not made, like, super great, but I think they're still kind of decent releases. But uh, copyright-wise, it, it wasn't be, like, the smartest thing to, <laughs> to have them uh, on Bandcamp all the time. But um, you can find some. The oldest album you will find of me, or it's an EP actually, is called Longings. It's from 2012, I think. And this one is probably the closest to that. It's it's more, already like a little bit of a transition there, but that will give you an idea, I guess. Okay, well, I, I will check that out after. I haven't listened to it since... 2013 maybe so I'm I, I hope I'm not embarrassing myself now I have no idea how it how it aged 
Well, there's nothing to be embarrassed about, man. I was listening to some of the old stuff I made back before I even got a hardware synth. Like I made, I was making like hip hop on an iPad, <laughs> and I found one of the old tracks the other day, and it was just like, yeah, like there was cool things about it, but I uh, also don't really want anyone to find it. <laughs> How did hip hop? And, and your experiments with sampling lead to ambient music? Um, it's also a good question. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure if, if, this, if, if hip-hop has something to do with me ditching beats and so on. So um, I'm, I'm still mostly listening to hip-hop or or at least like half of my music listening is hip hop based. So um, this is just some, I th if I listen to my music now, I can still hear that like more loop driven workflow, um, but I don't sample any, I mean, I sample myself, but I don't like chop any vinyl loops or so something like that, mainly for um, yeah, copyright reasons. I think it's a lot of fun, but it's not worth the time for me. So um, I'm I'm not sure how this is related. At at some point, I I discovered I'm not even sure if it's ambient music, but I I was really into Mark McGuire. You know the guy from um, that band um, <laughs> from uh, Cleveland. Um, I recognize the name too, but I can't place a band. I feel terrible. It's a Cleveland, Cleveland band, two guys with synths and one with a guitar. Okay. Um, okay. Emeralds. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and But he also made solo stuff, he's the guitarist, and he made these very loopy tracks. They were all like 15 or 20 minutes, very... It's basically like a live performance. I don't know if he was actually on stage or if he recorded it at home, but it's just like one take and... Um, also very loopy but not hip-hop related at all completely different genre but i was also really i was super fascinated by this approach but i couldn't play any guitar and i i wanted to to make this kind of music but with the gear and technology i knew and understood so this was kind of the point where i thought maybe just make a few tracks without drums for once and um, I was super happy when I... It took me a while to understand how to make music without beats. It's when, when, you, when you always make beats, it's kind of hard to, to just skip them. And because I don't just play guitar or piano or something like that, I think that then it would be easier. But uh, yeah, it was kind of... It was hard for me to, to understand it and how to fill that space that the drums usually would occupy. And um, yeah, and at some point I, I reached something that I found. It wasn't like what I maybe not exactly what I aimed to do, but it was it it was its own thing, and I thought that would be kind of like a path worth um, exploring. And um, yeah, I just stuck with it, I guess. Well, yeah, it seems like you know because I I I've been back and listened to some of your earlier stuff on YouTube and whatnot, and I'm I'm not sure quite how long ago that was now, but it seems like even from whatever you would call the beginning in the public eye, anyways, like you had already kind of found like the jogging house sound. Yeah, 
most likely. I, I, I mean, I, my older albums that I mentioned, they were on, for me, they were in the public eye in some way, but just not on, on the Instagram world and so on. So um, I think even they had that sound just plus beat. So it, it wasn't, for me, the whole sound aesthetic didn't change that much. It was just like more like how to, to layer these tracks and how to structure them. Um, so I think I kind of, that's why maybe it seems like that, like from the first release, it's, it has that sound, but I think I kind of had, I, I found that sound before in the, on the years prior and then just made like a more ambient version of it. Right just fine-tuned it and shaped it into what you were going for then. Exactly. And it's just like the sounds that I like. It's, um, <laughs> I don't think about it that much. It's just, yeah, things that resonate with me and I keep them playing. Well, I think it's interesting too that you bring up how, uh, you know, there's there's not beats or anything. And I know we've we've talked personally about how a lot of your work isn't necessarily synced, but you still somehow manage to keep a pulse in a lot of your work, yes, right? Something yeah. that gives it that feel of movement, even if it's not a drum hit. Yeah, yeah. I, I do like to have sort of a skeleton, I guess. So it's, um, I mean, I'm not even sure if I'm officially making ambient music. It's just an easy, basically, tag word um, to sum up electronic music without beats sure i guess and i i think it, i fall i'm not there are others that are probably on paper more ambient than me um but i yeah i like to have i have things that i can like rely on in a track as a listener and others that are kind of unexpected and weirdly moving but i i mean those those pulses are often also unsynced with the, within each other and they, they shift and so on, but it's still, at least for how my, <laughs> my brain works, I guess they somehow make sense and I, I um, yeah, they help me play along and it's also my click, if you will, my click uh, metronome yeah, sound. Yeah. That, no, that's super cool. Um, <clears throat> this question might be answered out on the internet somewhere, but I, I didn't find it in my research. I'm just curious where the name Jogging House came from. It is. It has been answered, yes, but I'm happy to answer it again. The the, the one German term for or when I make music, I try to be very um, comfy. I like <laughs> I like to wear things that I feel comfortable in. That's um, I can't make music in jeans. It's or something. It's impossible for me. I have to like wear inside clothes and uh, the main like the main um, part of it is is the pants and I, I wear these cotton sweatpants all the time and in Germany I mean there were several terms for them but one is jogging hose jogging like jogging and hose means pants jogging oh, pants okay. and at some it was just um, the name started in a like an um, message conversation I had with a friend and she basically said why don't you call yourself jogging hose and I, I wrote back jogging house I just added the U so it's like more international and also more vague sure and it doesn't really make sense and it so it's basically a joke name 
but I I have it and um, I did not <laughs> I had it too long I did not like f use the chance that I had when I wanted to change it so um, yeah it's it's been like that since I think 2011 now and um, yeah that's that's the name I have people kind of respond quite nicely to it because they don't understand it and it's it's it doesn't make I like when things don't make sense like even if you, you can think about it a long time but you will not solve it because it can't be solved it's just nonsense in a way and I I like that there are maybe like two or three pe persons in the world right now thinking about it and, and just trying really hard to um, <laughs> come up with with the answer and they can't and that's I like that but other than that I yeah it's just it's just this name that I have I <laughs> I apologize then if I uh, let the cat a little bit more out of the bag here it's okay it's I mean I answered it before and, and you still asked me so it's not um, super super soft I guess uh, I'm just gonna look at it this way now it, it's uh, comfy clothes for comfy music exactly and I, I mean, you can think of a house that is actually jogging, but personally, I like the idea of a house entirely made out of cotton. You know, where like, uh, um, where you can basically sleep, you can just like drop to the floor and sleep and it will be super nice. Um, like when you're too tired to go in the bedroom, you can still sleep in the kitchen. That, <laughs> that kind of house. I like that. That's amazing. Boris, when did Seattle Lombard first come on your radar? And and what I mean when I ask that question, like, where did you see or hear it and, and get interested yourself? Um, it's quite a while ago, but I didn't, like, jump in um, right away. I'm not even sure um, where I... Where I read about it, I read, I did not see, I read about it the first time. Like I just, I, I, I'm pretty sure it was the Plum Butter, maybe Plum Butter 2, but it could also have been the one, I'm not sure. Someone posted it somewhere, um, I, I really, I, I don't know, rem don't remember, it was like 2013, 14, and I was very intrigued by, just by the weirdness of it and the look, I just like how it sat there basically um, before I actually heard what it does and so on but um, back then I probably did not have too many um, hardware stuff I, I went through various phases like all hardware no hardware at all hybrid then again hardware and so on I think it was like in a more software <laughs> phase so um, I did not really go for it I just researched it a while and it was super well, still is super it's not expensive for what it is and it's handmade and so on but it's still a lot of money that you have to put on a table so um, I just didn't buy it and but it kind of um, stuck with me and then years later um, I, I kind of rediscovered the whole brand I guess and uh, the Coco Quantos was like because usually I'm drawn to samplers first. That's like the, my main interest most of the time. Um, and I didn't, at, that, at first I, I only knew the plum butter. So it was like a whole time went by until I realized that, and uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Shint, this little yeah, yeah. 
you know, <laughs> programmable thing. And I only knew these two, and it, and it took me a whole uh, while until I figured out that they have more, or P he Peter has more um, instruments. And yeah, when I when I researched the Coco Quantos, it was rather easy to convince myself that it would be something <laughs> I want. And but I I think I have it for around two years now, maybe a little longer. So not not ages. I, I that, that's long yeah. enough to to get to know. Uh the vibe of that thing though for sure yeah yeah definitely i've i've used it many many times since then and i'm i on some um like when i make these little setups that i uh, record my albums with um on some i purposely put it out so that i don't overuse <laughs> it so i i have to stop me from using it all the time basically um because otherwise it would be on every track but it, it has probably been one of my most used instruments since I have it. Definitely in the top three, easily. It's funny too that you say that because I think a lot of people that uh, have the Coco Quantas end up having to put similar restraints on themselves. And, and I find, especially yeah. now, because it seems so much more common, like you, you can yeah, hear it, a it track is. and be like, oh, there it is. Exactly. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it happens and it's okay and it's still super niche, even if it's popular, sure. it's still our tiny, tiny, tiny part of the world. So it's not obvious to anyone, but still, I, I <laughs> yeah, don't want to have just that sound, yeah. you know? No, yeah. I totally get that. Um, and then I think you had, you got a plum butter as well and got rid of it. Is that correct? Uh, I have one now. Yeah, but you have one initially, right? Yeah, I had one, like, I bought it after the Coco, maybe one and a half years ago, something like that, a bit more. And um, I recorded a couple of tracks with it and um, sold it because I, I, I had a very hard, I found it re to be really cool on its own. Or, or with like with the coco and, and tape loops and so on, but I found it hard to um, make it play along to other like electron sequences, like a, a bit more like structured um, yeah, instruments. Yeah. I had a quite a hard time um, doing that, and I at that point I didn't think it was like worth the the, the hassle and also the investment to to squeeze it into um, the workflow. But I was still pretty happy with the tracks that I made, but I, I, I didn't feel like this would be something I would use constantly from now on. So yeah, I, I sold it again after a while. And um, yeah, just recently, like, uh, like a month ago, basically I got one back and been using it quite a bit since then. I don't know how the future <laughs> will be, but I, I I think I, in some ways you always like learn more techniques, not just to plumb, but just in general, how to make music. And I think in some ways I, I'm, I'm better at many things now um, and just like how to, to combine it with things that it may, even if it doesn't want to be combined <laughs> with other things. Sure. So, but it, it kind of, I can make it, work more easily now and for example at the moment I use it together with a digitone which in theory is kind of the same sequencer and the same like workflow as the analog for that 
didn't uh, bring me like that much joy back then and now it's working pretty effortlessly so um yeah i hope it stays that way <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> when i was like you know i went back into your vaults a little bit getting ready for this interview and i i found a few of the tracks that you'd done with the plum butter and uh I, maybe yeah a year and a half two years ago maybe even a little bit longer and i yeah. just seen this this was before i got one and and i was all over the comments being like i love this i can't find oh, nice. any music <laughs> i can't find any music that uses it uh in a way that i would like to and uh yeah i, I was sad to see it go and now i'm happy to see it come back <laughs> nice yeah i'm i'm I, i mean i have no plans on selling it again so at least you never know what happens but at least at the moment um, i'm i'm pretty sure it will stay here for uh, an extended period of time well i think it's interesting too that thing you touched on like i'm also pretty terrible for selling gear and and rebuying it and, and i think that's the thing like you know some people will judge you like didn't you already have that but as time passes like your goals change what you want to achieve when you make music of course but then also like you said you get more knowledgeable like i'm on i think my fourth dig attack now and this is the first <laughs> time that it's like it's click with me like all the little things that it does i'm like oh but i i didn't know how to use it before i wouldn't have thought to use it that way and now that i do it's like a whole new instrument even though i've had it three times previously yeah it's i mean yeah i'm Some people even get angry when you sell things. I mean, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it it could be for many reasons. Maybe I just sold something to like raise money for something else. Maybe the something else doesn't turn out as great as I hoped it would be. Maybe I used something just for a project. There, there could be so many reasons, and it just also really doesn't matter. It's. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's like the most important point, I guess. It really doesn't, not at all. So, um, yeah, I, I, I've uh, rebought many things in many areas in my life, and mostly music because that's like where I spent most of my money on. But um, I, I think it's almost normal. And Yeah, most often you learn new things. Maybe I'm just not in the mood for something and need some space. My my table, the space on my table is limited. So when it's full, it's full. And the same goes for the channels on my mixer. When I I can't use more than I can use, and maybe something fits in, and maybe something doesn't. I like I had a, a super nice modular setup in 2013 and then I sold it all because I mainly made music uh, in Ableton um, when the push came out and I was super inspired by that and I just did not use the mo modular then like I, I hadn't like powered it on for a year so I thought why not sell it and um, but now I'm still missing some of the modules that I had back then I never got them back and I, I just I would love to have them and they were great they were great when i sold them i just did not use them and i i don't think it's i, I have no desire to like have a, like an archive or museum here there's no one coming around where i can sh show these old relics like, hey this is something i don't use but it's super cool um so um yeah <laughs> yeah i i sell everything i don't use i, I try to yeah. I, i'm similar and i'm at a point where i uh 
I so I had my like setup super condensed, and then I slowly got more and more. You know, as it yeah. goes, you get some money, you buy some gear. Sure. And now it's big again, but everything I have, I feel like has a purpose. So even if I'm not using it at the time, I'm like, okay, that's my sampler, that's my digital synth, that's my analog synth. So I might not be focused on it, but I will keep it around because I know, you know, in a month I'm going to be like, I'm sick of analog synth. I'd like to play with digital now rather than buy it. It's here, you know. Yeah, that's that's true. I'm, I think I'm at the same point. I had like my setup was more condensed and it, and it has grown a bit. Um, I think. I wouldn't know what to sell at the moment because everything has like its place, but at the same time I would like to have less. But I I haven't like figured out the right way to approach it or what to get rid of. I, I like the things that I have, but I it would still be nice to have like five pieces less, I guess, just less things. You also have a deer horn, right? I have a deer horn, yes. And uh, I know in our conversation you've mentioned that you love that thing totally uh, I, and I'm just curious what you love about it everything actually I, I love the sound it makes uh, I love how you play it I think it's super intuitive so as I mentioned I can't play guitar I can't really play keys I mean I can like with two fingers play the keys very slowly and then into a sequencer but <laughs> and so on but this thing is something it's like the most instrument instrument that i have that i can actually play and um i i have only good things to say there's nothing that annoys me about it i, I think it's wonderful i um, i really enjoy playing it and even more so than the coco i have to stop myself from completely overusing it on everything so um yeah it's it's probably my favorite instrument to be honest i i use it all the time and i think it's just beautiful and then also i like just that it's called deer horn it's <laughs> it's a nice name it is yeah it's funny i named the podcast the deer horn before i even had one because i'm like it's such a cool name i thought you would be kind of a super fan of that <laughs> instrument to be honest. well i am now i just got one so that, that's kind of what i was curious about because i think yeah of, of all peter's instruments that i've played with it is the one that feels the most like an instrument and even as a controller like when you use it for controlling granular yeah. synths or whatever like the level of feeling it's like you can grab electricity in 3d it's so it's um, it feels right to me i don't know i i hardly use it as a controller because i i want the sound too i <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It's been all, all over my music since I got it. Um, how do you go about tuning that thing? Slowly and, <laughs> and with a tuner. Um, so I, I use in general, I use a tuner for everything and, um, that too. I, I just slowly try to, to narrow it down to two notes per, per, um, Dehorn voice or whatever one thing is called, um, so it works. I, you know, just move the the pot just like a tiny bit and move the other one, and you then move the first one again and just go back and forth until you um, find the tuning that works. And and gladly it holds the tuning very well once it is tuned. So 
it's it kind of I do it right away. I, I power everything on. I let it running for let it run for like ten minutes. So it's I don't even know if it has to be warm, but I that's just you know analog things in my mind need to warm up. So I let it warm up, and then I tune it before I I um, even start making a track or anything. That's the first thing. So I have that kind of homework thing out of out of the way and can start making music from then on. Yeah, because that's an instant buzzkill if yeah. you have to stop a session to deal with yeah, that. Yeah, no, I, I, that, I can't do that. <laughs> so once you get it in tune, do you generally use that tuning for like a few tracks then? or No, mostly for one and then I change the tuning. I usually change, because I don't know music theory or anything, I change the, every time I make a track, the next track I will do in a different scale just to um, just to not repeat everything so I don't fall like in this, into the same um, melody or anything like that yeah that's actually a, a pretty neat concept like I I know a little bit of theory and and I've kind of been the opposite where I pick a key and stick to it because I'm like I know all the note relationships and everything but just recently I switched keys actually it was after I watched uh, I think it was your dig, dig Attack patch from scratch on your Patreon yeah. uh, you did something in E flat major and I'm like oh that sounds pretty I'm going to yeah, work like with this one too. for a bit <laughs> yeah so that's the one I've been using but yeah it, it's interesting because I think the way that you do that you're almost like forcing accidental inspiration every time exactly. you're like yeah oh these notes relate differently they have a different mood and now you have to embrace that versus falling into old habits yeah. as you mentioned i do that with timing as well i just set to i just decide on a scale and if it's music that i that the sequencer kind of dictates i set a, a tempo and then i just have to work that's the hope that's the, the challenge for that day is to make a track in whatever B in 80 BPM that's kind of the task that I have to accomplish and the next day it will be a different scale in a different tempo yeah that's super cool um, I just wanted to cover this quickly since I brought up your patreon so I I recently joined and I've went down like pretty much the entire rabbit hole. I don't think there's much you've posted that I haven't read or watched. Nice. And uh, I just wanted to say personally, and hopefully, you know, this will apply to the listeners as well, that uh, like I'm on a ton of Patreons that, you know, I support a lot of comedians. I support all the other modular related podcasts and synth podcasts. And, <clears throat> excuse me, yours is the first where I've like, really got sucked into the content on there like it, it you know like i think because i'm an aspiring artist as well to like get advice from someone as you know accomplished as you are and and a lot of times just hearing you say things that i already do just gives me confidence that nice. like okay i'm doing the right thing i just need to be patient so yeah, that's just basically to say that anyone's listening, if you do make music, I uh, highly recommend you jump on his Patreon because it's great. There's uh, lots of tutorials and uh, inspirational posts and thoughts, and and uh, I'm really happy I joined, man. Thank you, thank you. Really, that that means a lot to me. I 
yeah, don't know what to say. It's um, <laughs> I started it like I don't now it's ten months and it's it's going really well. The feedback is super nice. The community there's like a Discord um, forum or I don't know what a Discord server uh, connected to it, which is super active, super nice and friendly little community. And it's um, it's by far been the the best thing of 2020 um, for me. And I'm 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 very happy with it, and I I still don't know. I'm I'm also super scared. Like if I don't post anything, will I lose all my patrons? And um, because yeah, I'm an independent artist, which is like like the boom um, economy <laughs> of the last year, you could say. So um, the. <laughs> The, I actually use the Patreon to pay like uh, the necessities of life and not just, you know, um, blowing it on synths or anything. So, um, yeah, I, um, it's, it's a weird thing. I, in a way, it's sad that um, it, it even needs to exist, if you will. But at the same time, it's incredibly wonderful that it exists. So, um, I met many wonderful people there and um, we're kind of we're working on a compilation at the moment on the discord yeah yeah I read about that the the, the, the quality of music that this group makes is amazing I I did not expect oh I did not know what to expect when I started the, the patreon in general like would would I expected like people would be very like beginners so um, I thought beginners would more resonate with tutorials and because I don't really watch tutorials, I don't have the, the attention span to, to go through a whole tutorial. So I thought everyone would be like that, but it turns out it isn't. And um, yeah, it's, it's honestly, the music is fantastic. The, the community is super, super, just good people. I'm not just saying that because um, it's like a like the promo minute of this um, <laughs> of this conversation. It's it's just the truth. It's it's really like that. And um, I I've, I'm I'm all on the Discord all the time. Um, it basically um, is my social media now. I do my posting like my jogging house and Zyle Records postings, and then I'm out of Instagram, Facebook. I don't I don't care what <laughs> who cooked what. But um, <laughs> this um, this is just this is the nicest thing to me, really, and um, I'm I'm so glad. Kind of the the circumstances of last year brought me to um, starting it. I yeah, it was super scary. I did, I thought it could be like very embarrassing if I had like my mom on there and then <laughs> no one else. So. <laughs> Um, but it it didn't. It turned out differently, and it's 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 wonderful, really. Well, yeah, uh, my mom hasn't supported my music much since I gave up on classic rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's really great. And as far as like you know, losing people if you're not heavy on the content, I I kind of think of that sort of content, especially with the Patreon and stuff, because it's such a personal thing. It's almost like uh, album releases, you know, where you want to have enough to keep everyone stimulated but not so much that they get sick of hearing it yeah <laughs> true so one of the things i was really curious about because this is a workflow i found myself in is is um 
I know you like to take a focus setup and work with that and then usually I, from what I've seen anyways a release or so comes out of yes. those restrictions how did you find that as a workflow like how did you realize that's the way that I like to create um, I think um, it's started around um, two years ago probably around that time now when I when I got the Digitect and I, I made that album wood maybe you the one with the horses on the cover and yeah, the, yeah. this one is just made with the Digitect and recorded straight to cassette and um, at that time I had a quite big uh, modular setup like the Pittsburgh 420 case and like two satellite cases and millions of things uh, that I could connect to and with this I made the, the two prior albums um, from and self and um, and it felt incredibly refreshing to me to to just like sit down on the floor on the sofa or in the bed with the with the digitact and make a whole track with it not just like a like an idea for a track but like to finish the whole thing um, and it, it just was so nice to just focus on on that one thing and not on everything. And I, I felt that I it was a lot easier for me to focus on the single sounds. Like when you have like a doesn't matter if it's a modular case or just many synths or many instruments in general, and you feel the urge to squeeze everyone in because you you own it and it kind of you have to justify owning it. So you you pick like squeeze in a sound from everything you have but you don't spend like a a lot of time or not maybe not as much of time with each individual sound because there's so many to cover and if you think about it honestly most likely there will be a few sounds that don't need to be there at all and um, it kind of clutters up the whole composition and so on and, and it was very freeing for me to just like have these eight tracks mono tracks I could resample but still it's just eight moving parts and that's that and um, but at the same time of course I didn't want to make like digitech tracks only for the rest of my life so I I <laughs> um, <laughs> looked for for setups that um, just gave me a, a similar um, feeling if you will and they are often very different like from how structured or unstructured you I can um, play them or program them or whatever sequence them um, but they are still focused on this like the same feeling for me some in size physically are bigger or smaller depends on the instruments but still I try to to recreate that so I I haven't made an album with just one piece of gear since then but many with like three pieces plus maybe like um, delay and reverb which I don't count it something like this is always there but like three instruments or like a small modular case and a Coco Quantus something like that and um, yes it's always the same approach not like what the composition is but the same approach with the the maximum amount of voices that I like to have um, in in a setup so i am flexible enough but at the same time don't feel the need to just use everything and you know like mud up my whole sound with just nonsense 
um, right. <laughs> sounds. So once you like put those restrictions in place, like, do you tend to work rather quickly? Like, yeah. are you the sort of guy that'll, you know, go four or five days, just record, 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 or, or are you like, I'm going to flesh this out over months? No, I one track a day or two. Right. Because many of the things don't have like, I can save uh, everything or, I mean, like with the Seat Lombarda, the, the deer horn holds its tuning, even if you um, unplug it. But other than that, it will be gone anyway. And I don't, um, I, I power my studio down. I can't, I, I couldn't sleep if I knew everything was running. I, I can't have that. So You'd hate uh, mine. <laughs> what? Sorry. I, you'd hate mine. <laughs> We're powered up all the time. No, the, ho the horror. <laughs> um, no, I, I, when, when I leave this room, I, I power everything down, and then it's gone, basically. And so I know that, um, yeah, depending on what month we have, when it's, when it gets um, dark outside, it's definitely like a sign that I should either start recording now or just decide to lose the track, which sometimes happens. But most of the time, I, I record something. And um, I'm, I think I'm pretty good at knowing like start or mid composition if it will become a track or not. I'm, I have a good feeling for when to when it's not worth to um, trying to make it work when it's just. I mean, yeah, you can always make a track. That's not the point. But I, when I feel like this won't. Be, will definitely not be a track that I will release and I have no desire on finishing it so I abandon it after like one or two hours and um, either start something new or <laughs> lie on the sofa for the rest of the day that's <laughs> both options are fine um, yeah but usually um, when I'm like in the flow I record something every day or every other day depends on what other things I have to take care of but when I have time then I, I record a lot of stuff and an album is like eight to ten tracks usually eight nine and then I try to record maybe 12 that I like and yeah Th that gives you some flexibility then to pick which ones will Make Sometimes mess. I just record the eight if I know it's like kind of it depends on the, f the feeling that I have, I guess. Um, it just, I don't know, I feel if it's complete or not, and then I will stop um, working with that setup and yeah, retire it or pause it for a while and, and concentrate on something else. Like, say, photography? Yeah, like you photography. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Nice transition. Um, yeah, I, I've been I've been super into photography since a few months, actually. Um, and it's been that's the other really nice thing of 2020, probably. To um, I, I had a, a like a DSLR ten years ago. I bought one and was very much into like doing. Uh, I don't know if the right term is street photography, but basically walking around in the city and snapping stuff. And but I kind of um, I just stopped doing it after a while. I don't know it, and I only used the camera for for making like gear videos and so on. But um, yeah, I, I bought another one um, this year, last year, and um, it's been so much fun it, it's um, probably the thing that I like 
research and uh, read up the most, way more than about music here at the moment, to, <laughs> to be honest. And I, it, yeah, it's, um, I really love it. And it's also, um, I'm the kind of person that has no desire to go outside. <laughs> it doesn't, if the sun is out, I don't need to be outside. But um, the, like, taking pictures is like of, like a task when walking around so it's like a, and i mean now with the virus and so on you have to like because everyone is inside all the time it's good to like have a little it's not even exercise exercise is the wrong word but at least to like get the body moving a tiny bit so um, yeah 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 taking pictures is like a nice like um yeah subtask when when walking around and I don't. Um, I just. I, I just take the pictures. I don't. I just stop, take one or two pictures, and move on. It's not like I hang. Don't hang around at a certain place and like try to make the best photo I can. But I. Yeah. Well, I've I've seen some great ones. I, I love that like kind of urban city sort of aesthetic you've been. Thanks. Hosting. That's pretty neat. Thank you. It's. Um, I. I get very excited when someone likes my <laughs> photos. It's because I don't know what I'm doing, and it's um, like I, I know when I see something that I like, but I don't know technically if I have everything right and so on. And um, I'm very happy when it works out. And sometimes I'm not sure if it's a good photo or just a photo that I like. And um, for whatever well, that's reason, that's fine too. Yeah, it is, of course. But I'm still like when I when someone comments on my photos, it, it gets me way more excited than when someone <laughs> comments on my music for some reason. I can't really explain. But I'm, yeah, I'm I'm super super just happy with having that in my life again. I guess. So is do you find there is any parallels between photography and music? Like, do you get a similar sort of high? from like, you know, making a good track versus taking a good photo or? It's different, I think, at least for me. I'm, like for um, the, the music I I need to do, I, I get grumpy when I don't get to do it um, for a while for because life happens and you, I, I need to, to make the music because it's, uh, for, for me, it's a part of like expressing my emotions, basically. And um, photography is not, it's just, taking pictures of things that I see the basic more or less random it's um, I don't go to specific places to take the photo I just go somewhere and, and take pictures along the way and um, yeah it, I'm, I'm very happy when when they turn out nicely like I'm there's like a, this little moment of ex excitement I don't check the photos on the screen of the camera when I take them I check them on the computer when I go back so when I plug that uh, SD card in and load up the pictures um, it's it's kind of a, like a little like five minutes like while it's processing it's very exciting to <laughs> if, if a few of them will turn out nicely or not um, but it's it's not the same uh, thing for me but um, I really like while I don't listen to my music very much after I finished it I kind of very much like to look at the pictures so right. Um, it's it's different, but it yeah it just makes me happy and it's um, I don't also don't think about other things when I take them. I'm just like focused on taking the picture and focused on like editing it or whatever and then deciding the, which ones are good and yeah it's a, it's a nice little routine I guess and. 
Well, it's it's always good to have something else too, right? You yeah. know, like it's great to get the motion out with music, but I know like when I get in hunker down and focus mode after a few days, I'm like, Ugh, I need to do something else just to clear your mind. True. I was talking to, to some artists before I started this podcast, just kind of letting them know that I was considering it and whatever. And I was talking with John uh, Paperbar. Yeah. And, and he said that, you know, it's a pretty ambitious thing to do. You're taking on a lot to do this. But I can't imagine that it is anything close to taking on starting a record label, uh, <laughs> which I think you might have done. I might, yes. <laughs> there are rumors. Um, yeah. And I just wanted to ask you a little bit about, like, how did, how did you decide to do that? Like, I think your vision and the aesthetic was clear from the start. Um, but what what pushed you in that direction and gave you the the, the confidence to go? Yeah, um, I I have a, an advertising marketing background, like in my old life, so. Um, I'm uh, or was a copywriter, like making like concepts for uh, like creative concepts for campaigns and so on. And I took care of like the idea and the text uh, part. And I always worked with people who um, did care of the visual part, like uh, art designers and so on. Um, so I I'm I knew some people in that world, and. Um, like label-wise, I always wanted to start a label. I didn't even know what what like came with having a label. But like ever since sure. I'm a teenager, I guess I just I wanted. I'm I'm the I was the one in the group that like um, made the mixtapes for everyone, and um, you know like I had the music kind of and <laughs> shared them with the others. So that's I don't know. I've, I've I'm very interested in in discovering new artists and so on as a listener but also now like as a thing that I do um, and so it kind of I always had that idea in a way and then um, when I kind of became an artist myself if you will like uh, releasing music um, I I worked with some labels not, not countless but a few and I, I had made mostly good experiences but I was never like completely um, happy with small labels mainly because of the um, like promotion part which in the end I did myself mostly um, I, I always felt that I did not get as much of a push from being on a label as uh, it could have been and um, <clears throat> But also maybe I thought that because I'm like have that job background and I um, just I'm I'm comfortable with push, pushing things beyond the awkward part, so I can I can distance myself enough from that to just get it done, and and it, which is kind of important I guess if you want to actually sell and sh reach as many listeners as you as possible. And um, yeah, and I thought, why not do it myself? And I, I don't even know. Um, I think it was when I started um, making that ambient music, like I, I uh, said a, f a few minutes earlier, when I was like getting into it and getting into a workflow and becoming um, happy with the results that, that turned out that I, 
I thought that um, I needed a place to share that and it would be either self-releasing it or maybe now because it was kind of a breaking point in my, my music uh, aesthetic, um, maybe it would be a good time to um, yeah, found a place um, for that. And I told it to like a, a design team, like friends of mine who I worked with on normal project, normal, uh, like ad, like paid <laughs> projects, if you will. <laughs> and I, I told them that, and they worked with other labels before. It, it's um, so for them it wasn't like a super strange thing to do at all. And um, they said, sure, we will make a logo and like a visual aesthetic for you, no problem. And um, super like i don't know a few days later they called me and say we already have something we take a look and yeah we had they they made several like um proposals of how it could look like and so on and um at that point i kind of realized on shit i now i have to actually do it because um my friends put in so much work i can't like chicken out now um so yeah that I had a logo basically and um, then I started to contact some musicians. Um, Paperbark was the first one actually, but he didn't say yes right away because um, uh, I'm just like a guy who wrote him without anything, like, hey, I have this label which doesn't exist, um, give me your music. And yeah, we, we talked about that a ton off air when uh, we did the interview. How yeah. You know, he got hit up by a ton of startups, and and it just kept falling through. But uh, I think what uh, you proposed worked out eventually. Yes, I guess um, I I knew I knew I could like count on myself when it comes to like selling things. And I mean, it's about most the releases are free when for the first two weeks when they come out. So it's not it's it's not something I started to you don't sell ambient cassettes to make money. That's stupid. But yeah. um, I still had the goal to I wanted it to be self um, sufficient. Is that the right term like that? It uh, can that the label can pay for its costs. It, it, it shouldn't be like a hobby that yeah, that was kind of my goal. Um, and um, so, yeah, I, I um, try to push things as hard as I can, or still am trying to push things as hard as I can without being annoying and, um, yeah, just sharing good music with the world. And I guess that is appreciated to some extent. So it's uh, working out. Yes, it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very happy with it. I, it. There's still a lot of room to grow, <laughs> like a lot but um, I'm I'm very happy with how it's going and it, it feels like it's still it's growing every day basically slow very slowly but it's I can see like a like little tree branches like you know coming out and um, hopefully I can like still keep it up and like yeah keep doing it well I hope you do <laughs> The one thing I was kind of curious about, this is to tie back to your, your personal work now as a musician. Um, I, I, I think I might have read a post about this on your Patreon, but at some point I remember you talking about how you tend to either work in like short form tracks or long form tracks. And 
how do you decide what direction you're going to go? And I assume at this point you can probably see where I'm heading. <laughs> I, I, I see, yes. Um, it's really based on my mood. It's not... Um, it's... I, I don't even know, <laughs> to be honest. It's just like a feeling that I have. And um, the you are referring to an upcoming album or that might even be out when this uh, podcast drops and it's Sorry. called Flaws and it has like four very long form tracks and like I think it's an um, like most of my music is, has an optimistic uh, vibe to it but uh, it is rooted in like a sad um, background actually I hope I <laughs> won't tear up while uh, explaining it but um, in last September our pet bunny uh, died and um, I don't know if you have pets or if the listeners have pets it's hard I, do. I, I don't know it depends on if you can relate to the attachment um, you get to to a, a tiny creature like this but we had this like super sweet tiny bunny and um, he he was like very much part of the family, but also it took an insane amount of time to to um, keep him alive. Basically, and, uh, a bunny is very hard to um, have age old. It's it's not like a dog or a cat or anything like that. It takes hours every day, and um, he was thirteen, almost. Oh, wow. And um, when he passed away, we had. The, our days were basically free. There was like this huge hole in the day that, um, yeah, we didn't know how to to fill. Like, um, and I just didn't want the music to stop. I think I just want to to keep make long tracks to to not, um, yeah, like see this gaping hole of sadness all the time so that is why I made these long tracks basically so sorry to be like a downer now but it's no, no, that's no, it's the fine, that's man. the honest answer and um, yeah I'm uh, I'm sorry to hear about your bunny thanks um, I, I guess it's kind of the case of them when you get in a headspace like that and you find a mood that helps you feel better you know and sometimes being as sad as possible and embracing it is the best possible thing to yeah, do. Sometimes it's to avoid it and look for happiness. But yeah, I guess once, you know, you get in that headspace and riding it out for a long time, if you enjoy being there, is not a bad thing. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's how it came to be. And then with this new album, did you use like kind of a, a mini setup? sort of deal i did like the the deer horn um because the deer horn and um a lyra lyra 8 the um zoma uh, synth and a little sample based uh, modular system with a, a mainly a squid sample and a, a morphogene those were like the two key elements in it and um yeah those three pieces if you will and uh, the Lyra or Lyra I don't know um, probably Lyra because it's Russian um, is in many ways to me is the same as the Deerhorn I don't know do you know it do you even know what I'm talking about 
with the synth. Yeah. 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 Um, it's also very cumbersome to tune. It also has, uh, you know, not also Dion has six voices, but this one has eight. But it's in, you you tune it. It doesn't hold the tuning super well, but you you tune it very slowly and have to constantly retune it until it kind of stays in key for a while. And then there's also no keyboard and no sequencing, but it has these um, electronic touch connectors. But I mean, in this case, you touch the synth, and in the Diohorn, you're hovering your hand over it. But it's a it's a very similar approach in um, yeah, in, in playing music, I guess. So I kind of treated that uh, like like one synth, like one. The Diohan is more like the more gentle sounds, while the the Lyra is more of the aggressive. But I I basically played both at the same time, like with my left and right hand, and um, I looped stuff um, on the on the sample uh, modules. The, the Morphogene has a three minutes recording time, which I never max out, but the <laughs> Squid sample has 11 seconds per track, so very short. So I have, I have these short fragmented loops, basically, that keep like fading in and out and just looping and, and layering and deconstructing by themselves. I mean, I played them in, in the tempo or in the timing that I wanted, but still... Um, Oh, and I also used my kalimba that I forgot. Um, right. And um, but I also just for sampling, not for live playing. And then once I had some some construct going that I um, liked, I just played these two um, very esoteric instruments um, on top for twenty five minutes. So it's <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, basically just for um, like long form. Um, improvisational tracks over um, these kind of cluttered loops. And I, sorry, I keep forgetting things. I also used the microcosm pedal. That oh, okay. um, yeah, 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 I got that new um, when 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 I started working on that album. And um, yeah, this this one was also used quite a bit on it. Yeah, I know uh, you. You sent it over so I could have an early listen. I wanted to say thanks for that. Sure. Um, I've only got through three of the four tracks so far, and they're all beautiful. I'm going to hopefully get the fourth one in after we're done speaking here. But I I'm excited to revisit now that I know a little bit more about the process and the story that you're telling and all of that stuff. Yeah, it's um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know. I, I had the idea of making a long album, and this was the setup that I just had built, but I didn't build it with the idea of making long tracks with it. It was basically just a setup that was on my table when I needed to record something. And because ideally, like long form tracks, I would make with at least one thing that is also sequenced. So I have something to fall back on. Right. But I decided, to, decided that it would also kind of be a good idea to have no safety net. So it's really just like, 25 minutes of trying to not mess everything up and keep keep kind of a flow going and um, yeah just play poor emotions kind of uh, onto the tape well, I noticed uh, oh I can't remember which track it was I think maybe the third one I listened to when I walked the dog last night and uh, 
there was like a spot maybe halfway through or so where almost everything in the track stops yeah and then it comes back in and i don't know if that was intentional or not but i thought that was so cool and if it was you know a happy accident from just letting things go then that's even cooler it it I don't rem I don't I know what you mean but I don't know I don't because I recorded several takes I don't know the remember the exact second when I recorded it it could be that I just felt that uh, there need needed a like a kind of a pause it also could be that I just um, had to go to the mixer um, and like <laughs> pull down the levels of something and I can't reach the deer horn or the lyra at the same time um, right. it could, or maybe a mixture of both, but um, I mean, I, I, it's it's such a long time, and uh, in because you have like with these instruments together, you have fourteen voices, eight on the lyra, six on the deer horn, but they are hard tuned to fourteen notes. So basically, it's just playing a keyboard with fourteen notes, which is not a lot, and no. um, so trying to keep it interesting. But also, like in this meditative state, not I can't like I can't change it up every thirty seconds because then it, it loses its purpose. It, it's meant to music to to drift away to, and um, so the I I find volume to be like the most interesting thing in in sound. So just taking it away from time to time has more effect than often than changing every aspect of a sound it's just like erasing it for a second or ten um, has has way more it, at least to me way more impact so um, yeah that is something that I sometimes am interested <laughs> in doing but I I don't know how it how this exact spot came to be but I liked it when I this um, I decided on that take to to make it the album version um, because of of that moment i had similar moments but this one was nicer the nicest so i'm glad i picked that out <laughs> yeah. that's pretty cool <laughs> um well man that's pretty much everything i wanted to ask you so is there anything you wanted to plug talk about promote um there's yours i don't know stay in school i guess <laughs> um yeah, I don't even know if uh, we could go to school right now, can we? Probably not. Don't stay at home. Don't stay in school. I'm crazy. Yeah, don't, don't risk everything. Um, yeah, what what can I say? I um, this album is out now, right? Um, it, it, it because will be, yeah. we are in the future. This album is out now. Um, if you want to, it's on a double cassette, so each side of the cassette is one um, track, one long track. If this cool. is something uh, you, the listener, would uh, find interesting, even in a digital form, maybe visit the Zyle Records um, Bandcamp page and um, give it a listen. Um, other than that, um, yeah. I'm happy for for everyone who listens to my music, to who listens to the music on the label. Um, I kind of have a have a message with it, and I wanted to reach as many people as I can. And um, there are still like seven billion <laughs> that that haven't. So um, yeah, there, there's still like room to grow. So tell your friends and your aunts. Um, about us and um, yeah just I don't know 
keep doing positive things, I guess, because um, that's better than negative things. I learned that in school, but um, I'm only realizing it now. 